Well, welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about going down the river, going up the river. We're going to talk about rivers and... (laughs) Good hand washing. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, welcome back to the podcast. And today we're talking about the fifth word in our series about 10 words in the Bible or the Bible in 10 words. And today we're talking about the fifth word, river. Now, when I think about a river, I think about an experience I had when I was in college. I was an intern uh, in a church in West Columbia, and we would often go up to the mountains of North Carolina near uh, Waynesville, Lake Genelisco, which is a uh, a headquarters for the southeastern jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church uh, near Asheville, North Carolina. And of course, there are plenty of rivers up there. We went to one, the Natahala River, and we would go down every year, whitewater rafting, it is a relatively safe river to raft down, uh, except for there's a little waterfall at the end. One year we went and the company that we were going with in which, you know, we we uh, had guides uh, from this group. Normally, well, this year when we went, they didn't have guides for every boat. And so I had to be a guide uh, for one of the boats and I had some experience, but I wouldn't have ever thought about myself being a guide. Uh, well, I had some teenagers, some middle school uh, kids in the raft with me and we went down uh, the, the, the river. And I remember at one point we had some people on the left side that were better at, at paddling than the people on the right side. And so we couldn't really you know, maneuver the river very well. We ended up hitting a rock and I fell out. <laughs> And, and I was afraid I was going to be, you know, sort of caught up in the current and pushed down the river and leave these middle school kids uh, behind without someone to navigate the waters because the waters were moving that swiftly. You know, these these rivers some, sometimes be very powerful. And, you know, today we're talking about rivers as they appear in the Bible and what they symbolize. But I just always have this this image in terms of a river of some kind of rushing, gushing, powerful river that moves things down quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of always been my image of water, too. I guess I w- I've always had, I don't know if I would call it fear now, but but at the very least, a healthy respect for, for the power of water. Uh, I had an uncle when I was very young that uh, drowned in mm-hmm. a river. Uh, and then I've had a couple of incidences, both as a kid and uh, as late as last summer, uh, with the power of waves. And so I, I, I've been able to keep that healthy respect for the power of water. But as you say, uh, it is a powerful image in the Bible as well. And it begins there in Genesis in creation. Genesis 2.10 says, A river went out from Eden to water the garden. Uh, you know, we've been talking about creation. And uh, here in the second chapter, creation is still new. Um, light has dawned. Dust has settled. Breath is bestowed. And the garden is in full bloom because there is a river that runs through it. Mm-hmm. Well, and you think about just the the experiences and scenes within the Bible 
that rivers pop up, you know, uh, not only in terms of um, Egypt when they were in exile, uh, when they were um, in, in um, captivity, where the Nile was there and the Nile was the lifeblood, you know, of, of that, that civilization and, and empowered them to become a great civilization of the time. But even in Israel itself, to this day, the, the central river in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and Israel is the Jordan. Um, and it's essential, not only uh, in terms of history and significance, but also for life, because this is a very arid country. Uh, and the, the Jordan River to this day feeds water to some of the largest cities, and it provides water for farms and farmland. So it's no con coincidence that Eden is close to running fresh water because most early civilizations that ended up thriving were founded near rivers or lakes. And, you know, if there were areas that were um, uh, uh, areas of habitation that they did not have running water nearby, they had to create their own. Mm -hmm. And we've even um, seen in Israel some of the archaeological digs of areas that are kind of more in the arid desert-like areas where they had to sort of create their own rivers. They would find uh, where rainfall was likely to fall and they would create channels that would go through uh, the dirt and the desert and channel it into these man-made cisterns where they would store water mm -hmm. for the future. And so <laughs> whether you had a, an actual natural river or where you created one to fill a cistern, rivers um, are, are important and they give life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and you touch uh, on the first purpose. We think of rivers as having two purposes, and you touch on the on the first one is in that they provide. They provide life, right, through drinking water and and uh, being uh, essential to moving supplies and resources and um, uh, everything that the earth gives to us is moved upon the water so that God's people are, are blessed by all of those things. And the other thing that rivers do is they divide. They create boundaries. Uh, and we hear this in the story of Moses um, and the Israelites that he led out of Egypt. You know, their trek through the wilderness begins with the crossing of the Red Sea to escape Pharaoh's army. And oh, whenever I think about that, I see Charlton Heston Moses, <laughs> right? You know, with the, his staff, you know, and his locks blowing in the wind and <laughs> the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea. And then, of course, uh, getting back to the real story, uh, <laughs> their trek ends with the crossing of the Jordan into the Promised Land. Mm -hmm. um, we have a saying now, up the river, uh, which means going to prison, and that stems, they think, from uh, people being sent to Sing Sing Prison up uh, the Hudson River from New York City. And so if you said they're going up the river, it, it was code for they're going to prison. But the ancient Hebrews had a saying across the river, which meant uh, total freedom. You know, they had moved across that barrier, that boundary from slavery into freedom. And of course, there are other stories throughout the Old Testament about rivers and water and, 
and how they remind us of God's blessing. One uh, that is so interesting to me, uh, kind of a funny story, is the story of Gideon and uh, how he's getting ready for battle. And God says, well, you know, take your, your men down to the stream uh, to get a drink and uh, see how they drink from the water. If they, if they cup up the water and lap it like dogs, put them on one side. If they put their face down to the stream and, and drink directly from the stream, put them on the other side. And so there were 300 men that cupped the water and lapped it up like dogs. And God says, use those guys. Use those guys to fight your battle and send the other ones home. And so God used water, right, as a way to help Gideon win the battle. And then you have the story of Naaman, who was healed from leprosy in the muddy waters of the Jordan. And, of course, David wrote beautiful words about water. You know, he wrote about... Uh, God leading us beside still waters and how uh, as a deer longs for flowing streams, we long for God as well. Uh, and then one of my favorites from Amos, right? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So all these powerful images and stories of water and how God has blessed us through that. You were talking about you know, going up the river or going across the river. And for some reason, my mind just went straight to over the river and through the woods <laughs> to grandma's house we go. Yeah. Well, you know, you think about rivers uh, and, and like you've said, that there are all these images of water uh, giving life to people or healing to people. Uh, this image of God's presence and being with his people is that he, he, he provides water for them and sustains them. Uh, you know, two weeks ago, we talked about the third word, breath, breathing, and how central it is to life. Uh, just like we can gasp for air when we come up out of the water or after our grueling exercise, our souls get to the point where they're gasping for God's breath to fill us. We often don't realize our soul is doing it until mm -hmm. we start noticing the anxiety or the, you know, the, the feelings of not being content or joyful. Well, I, I think the same thing is brought up in everything you've talked about in the Old Testament. Um, thirst and, and, and thirsting for God and thirsting for what God's uh, blessings can provide. And, you know, when you were talking about all those images, when you got to David, and I, said, I thought that's exactly it. Because when mm -hmm. I think of, you know, thirst, I think about Psalm 23. Yeah. You know, you lead me by the still waters. Mm -hmm. um, I think about this understanding of of God providing us clean water that, you know, he will fill us up um, with with good things and blessings. So, you know, what I, th I think of in terms of thirst and water and rivers is this idea that we yearn for God, um, whether consciously or unconsciously, we we understand it. We we know that we we need him. And when we abide with him, we're more content and joyful and at rest. You know, when we breathe deeply or when we drink fully from God's love and grace, we find that rest. We find that peace. St. Augustine, um, in his book of Confessions, uh, wrote that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And I, I get the sense that all of these images of flowing water and life-giving water are, are tied into what Augustine says, that God is ready to provide us with this 
pure, clean, thirst-quenching blessing of a water. And all we have to do is stay with him and drink up. So uh, we're going to take a break, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the New Testament and rivers and water. Uh, But first, we're going to take a break and hear about a ministry highlight with JT and Stanley. Have you ever heard of UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief? They are a committee in the United Methodist Church that sends relief to people who have experienced natural disasters, such as hurricanes, tornadoes, and other things like that. It's important that you know that when you give to UMCOR, you're not paying for any infrastructure. You're not paying for any employees. You're not paying for anything like that. Every time you give to UMCOR, it goes directly 100% towards the relief effort. That's for the materials that people need. That's for water. That's for anything that they can need in these areas. Our church is currently collecting funds for UMCOR to help people who have gone through Hurricane Sally and Hurricane Delta. If you would like to donate to UMCOR, you can drop your checks off at the church on Sunday mornings or anytime throughout the week from 8 to 4. Make the check out to Bluff Park United Methodist Church and put UMCOR in the memo line. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we skip all the birth stories and the Magi and all of that, and we go straight to a river. Uh, It is in the River Jordan that we talked about earlier where Jesus sort of uh, begins his public ministry and he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And it's that moment where, you know, depending on what gospel you read, either people hear or just Jesus hears, you are my son, the beloved in whom I am well pleased. It's a launching point for Jesus and his ministry right at this very significant river. Yeah, I love the way that uh, Darren Spoo puts it. He says, as Jesus wades into the water, we witness both the giving of blessings and the crossing of barriers, mm-hmm. the, the provision, right? The provide and the divide, mm-hmm. right? Uh, God's ultimate blessing is the gift of himself. And so with that, um, with Jesus' baptism, he he goes from his private life into his public ministry. And it's interesting to think about Jesus and how he uh, is so like Moses in that Jesus offers to lead people out of sin, right, out of slavery to sin. Uh, he offers to walk with them through their struggles and uh, through the wilderness of all that life can bring to us, and then leads us into this new homeland of sorts uh, through a restored relationship with God. And just as Jesus' public ministry begins with water, our public embrace of Jesus begins in water. You know, in the midst of our baptism, we have this barrier that separates our old self from our new self. Um, I love how we say it in our baptismal liturgy that it's it's an outward sign of an invisible grace, right? Mm-hmm. It's a witness to others that we have embraced Jesus. And it's not so much that God needs us to be baptized, but we need it. We need to, to show that we have uh, embraced Jesus and we need to witness to the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. Um, he reminds us in the book about the, the early practice of Christians and, and how they were baptized. Um, you know, they were all baptized on one day, Easter, you know. 
and the men and women were baptized separately because they were baptized naked, right? They, the, the, you know, the new Christian walks down to the edge of the water. They remove their old clothes. Um, they walk into the river. They're baptized, and then they exit on the far side of the river, and they're given new clothes. Uh, such beautiful imagery. And, and then when we read scripture like 2 Corinthians 5, you know, the old is gone and the new has come. Or we read in Galatians about being clothed in Christ. You know, we, we see that imagery come to life and how Jesus crosses that boundary for us and brings us across the divide into a new life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that imagery of the um, the the folks going and being baptized in the early church on the Easter vigil or Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, often when they would put on those new clothes, they'd be white. You know, they would be these yeah. white robes signifying victory that Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, obtained for them and that they now were a part of. And it's, it's you know, maybe for us, white is kind of an image of a clean slate, you know, a clean drying, uh, a race board, dry race board. Um, but this idea that they're, um, they're new and their new life is coming and there's newness that God is providing for them. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Jesus continues to highlight that water is a symbol of our deepest spiritual needs throughout his teaching and throughout his, his ministry. I mean, in John 14, four, excuse me, John four fourteen, 14, uh, he says, whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never thirst again. This image of Jesus being water and providing um, uh, this, uh, this ability to not thirst again, to be filled and to be full, um, is repeated over and over again. Uh, Spoo, in his book, mentions uh, Donald Whitney and how he says that there are three types of spiritual thirst. And so, according to Whitney, there's the thirst of the empty soul. They can only be satisfied by pleasure, or they think so. They think that they can be satisfied by pleasure, but as soon as they indulge in the pleasure, they might be satiated for a brief moment, and then all of a sudden, they're right back to being thirsty again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then there's the thirst of the dry soul. Um, They know where to get the water. They know who provides living water, but whether it's intentional or not, they just don't go to the river. You know, it's, it's almost like with, with Psalm 23, that he leads me beside still waters, but then I don't drink. Yeah. You know, the dry soul, we know what we need, but we just don't go there, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And then there's the thirst of the satisfied soul, the soul that has found contentment in Christ uh, and still craves more. And, you know, when I think about that third image of, you know, the, the satisfied soul that's still thirsting, but it's a different kind of thirst. It's not a thirst of emptiness because it's satisfied, according to Whitney, but it's more like I have found living water and I want to keep drinking it. And I think about, you know, those times in which we have tasted a food and it's mm-hmm. just perfect, whether it's the taste of it or it's the right moment for it, you know, mm-hmm. like almost like on, on Thanksgiving Day, you know, there are those foods that we hardly ever eat any other time of the year and we taste it and it is so good and we're full, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat a little bit more. Um, and then we'll all suffer from tryptophan and take a nap during the football games. Uh, still others go shopping that I don't understand that, but anyway, so 
Um, that's the three kinds of, of thirst. Quenching a thirst. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. We're diagnosing society yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I really think that that's, that's a, a beautiful way to, um, to wrap it up, like, you know, Donald Whitney did and Spoo mentions in his book, that there are these kind of thirsts. And the more that we understand what thirst really is, the more we move down the line to what really satisfies us. Spiritual thirst requires spiritual water. Mm-hmm. Another image that Jesus um, uses quite frequently in the Gospels is bathing. Uh, water, when used on the inside, quenches our thirst, but when it's used on the outside, it gets rid of our um, our, our dirtiness. Um, baptism is, itself is based on ritual cleansing, ritual cleansing. Um, John the Baptist was not the person to invent baptism, but he was using it um, before Jesus came as a sign for people to, you know, get rid of all the old and, and to repent of their sinfulness and for the ways in which they've trusted in systems and structures instead of on God himself. And they would go into the water and have this ritual cleansing. Um, they didn't understand, uh, at least we don't think at that point, that grace was involved. That there was some sort of, you know, work of mm-hmm. baptism as we know it then. It was more of a, a way to restart their relationship with God. And so this is based on uh, ritual cleansing, this understanding of purifying yourselves. And some of the things we mentioned before about these man-made rivers that would, you know, move water into cisterns, they also had different channels uh, in the arid areas of the desert where some of these very uh, religious set-apart people like the Essenes were, would have these separate channels that would go into um, an area, a hollowed out area with stairs called a mikveh or mikveh. And what you would do is you would walk down the stairs and dip yourself in the water three times while a priest uh, watched over you. And if you did it correctly, then you were purified and you would come out on the opposite side. To this day, uh, there are people uh, who copy the Hebrew text on the scrolls. And before they pick up a pen or quill, they have to ritually wash their hands so that their hands are pure for the writing of God's word. And if they take a break or if they put the pen down, if they take a uh, you know a break to go eat something, guess what they have to do? Right before they pick up the pen or quill again, they have to ritually cleanse their hands before they start again. Mm-hmm. So baptism is about cleansiness of sin and the ways in which we have failed and the ways in which we have forgotten. Uh, but at the same time, we're not perfect, so we need to confess that, and we need to look for repentance. Uh, in confession, we admit our wrongdoing. In repentance, we make a turn. Uh, we go through transformation. We make changes, and we go in the right direction. It's a 180-degree turn. So cleansing is God's doing. We can't do it. We can confess. You know, we can repent. But cleansing, that's not something we can do in terms of spiritual cleansing. Um, It has to be God's work. And that's one reason why I love how in our faith tradition and several like us, that often we're baptizing infants or young children who can't uh, even put to voice, put to speech, uh, Mm -hmm. repentance or or confession. Um, 
doesn't mean we only baptize um, children and infants. Of course, in our church uh, this Sunday, we're going to baptize two adults. Uh, but cleansing is God's work and is ours for the asking. The cleansing we require is more than we can accomplish ourselves. And so God can provide us spiritual water for fulfilling our thirst, and God can provide us spiritual water for cleansing our hearts and our souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see assurances of, of that, of God fulfilling his promise in that to us. We see that in Scripture. Um, one place is uh, takes happens in the midst of Jesus' crucifixion mm-hmm. when the soldier pierces Jesus' side and the blood and the water pours forth. Most of the time, you know, we, we really put the emphasis on the blood. We like the blood, right? The, the image of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. But Spoo brings up uh, this idea about the water. You know, like he asks, what do we make of the water? Uh, he says, could this flow from the side of Jesus be a new river? fit for meeting our needs of drink and bath. Mm -hmm. And he he says, the springs of Eden are reopened. The barrier of death is crossed. The blessing of God is ours. And so I love that image. It's not only forgiveness, but we we have this promise of new life. And in the midst of death, we have this promise of new life. Um, And then at the end of the Bible in Revelation, we are assured that all is well. Lately, we've been seeing uh, pictures on TV of city streets with water in them due to hurricanes. (laughs) But when we read in Revelation in chapter 22, uh, it says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's great street. And this unusual description of Heaven's River tells us that the blessing of God will flow straight from the King of Heaven directly to where we, His people, live. And we will no longer have to search for God's blessing. God's blessing will come to us. We'll never be thirsty again or dirty again. Uh, God's people will be quenched and cleansed. And the river of God will be ours to experience and to navigate for all of eternity. Wow. I know. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it neat how uh, along the way in this podcast, we've talked about several items like last week, the garden. Mm -hmm. It's in Eden in the very beginning Mm -hmm. of Scripture, and it's in Revelation. Yeah. uh, The Revelation of John at the very end of Scripture. And the same Mm -hmm. thing with rivers. You know, there are the four rivers in Eden, and then there's the river river of life um, in, in Revelation. And it's just amazing to see the connection between the two and the sort of completion that happens in Scripture, mm-hmm. that if we hold on, if we look at God's future, there is restoration and perfection. There is um, the restoration not only of land, and gardens and rivers, but there's restoration of people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, the river provides life and blessing. Um, yet rivers divide us and you know, going across the river like the Israelites into the promised land or like mm-hmm. Jesus into the 
new life and, 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 and to the kingdom of God in heaven. There are all those images. But when I come back to the, the main image of scripture, it's this idea that water provides life um, to a thirsty world, mm-hmm. whether it be rain upon a parched soil or water to our thirsty souls. You know, there are the three types of spiritual thirst we described earlier, the empty soul, the dry soul, the satisfied soul. The empty soul keeps grabbing for something to quench the thirst only to find that they are still thirsty. It makes me think about, you know, being hungry and you reach for a candy bar and you get a a little bit of a sugar high and then all of a sudden you're hungry again. Mm -hmm. The dry soul knows what to drink but neglects the move to water or the right water. And finally, the satisfied soul knows that you can never drink enough of the good, life-giving water that Jesus gives. The rivers in Scripture are signs of God's wanting to provide us with living water. He wants to not only quench our thirst, but provide us with sustaining life and love and grace. So I think, you know, that that's something to stick with, that, you know, water's like rivers flow. They continually flow mm-hmm. um, when they're healthy and when there's enough rain, you know, this image that it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. And it makes me think of that image of my cup overflows yeah. from Psalm 23, mm-hmm. that God's blessings are, you know, being given to us continually so that we can have life and sustain in life. Well, we've got uh, one last word from a sponsor for today's podcast, and then we're going to wrap things up in just uh, a minute. But we're going to turn things over to Stanley and JT again. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hats. Do you want to find a way to support your favorite team? Do you need to protect your head from the sun? Do you need to hide that bald spot? Buy a hat today. Well, we talked a lot about rivers and life and thirst and all of these things, but it just seems like one of the things we keep coming to is that God is a provider, that God keeps the waters flowing and keeps wanting to reach out to us and our thirsty souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that through creation, God provided everything that we needed. And uh, we seem to mess that up somehow, but God still offers it, continues to offer it. Well, and like you said, in, in Revelation, there's this image of a never uh, yeah. ceasing river. And right. so even though we mess it up, God still mm-hmm. has yes. this restored river for us in our future. Yes. Something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being here with us. And we will see you back next week on Table Talk with Mike and Angela.